0: Our scripture reading this morning is from the book of Numbers. You'll see a portion of that over on uh, on page three of the bulletin. We'll read a little bit more than that in our in our reading. So if you have a Bible, either you brought one or the one the black one from the bookshelf, or or punch it up on your phone. Numbers eleven. We're picking back up with our study in the book of Numbers. If you've been here, we've been working our way through this Old Testament book of Scripture. And it's been a little bit since we took a little break for around Easter time. So it's good to remember what Numbers is all about it's all about the people of God and their time in the wilderness. So they've been rescued, set free from slavery in Egypt, but they're not yet in the promised land, they're in the wilderness which we've said is a, is a very helpful thing to study because it's very much where we are, spiritually speaking. We're those, as, as God's people, if you're in Christ, uh, we're those who are set free from slavery, right? no longer slaves to sin, no longer slaves to death and evil, set free by work of Christ, but yet we're not yet in the heavenly promised land. We're in the wilderness, which is why it often feels like a... Wilderness. What is God up to in the wilderness? Well, that's what the book is all about. We've seen a number of things so far. Uh, the, the big theme that's come up again and again is God's presence with his people uh, in the wilderness, even visibly there at the tabernacle and the pillar of cloud and fire. Uh, but now they're beginning to travel towards the promised land. And we pick up in, in chapter 11 where we actually begin a series of episodes where God's people struggle even rebel against the Lord. And these, t- these things too are for us and for our instruction. But let's read uh, from Numbers 11 first. This is the word of the Lord. And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled. And the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord. And the fire died down. So the name of that place was Taberah, because the fire of the Lord burned among them. Now the rabble among them had a strong craving. And the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up. There is nothing at all but this manna to look at. But now the manna was like coriander seed, and its appearance like that of Bedellum. The people went around, uh, went about and gathered it and ground it in hand mills or beat it in mortars and boiled it in pots and made cakes of it. And the taste of it was like, a, like the taste of cakes baked with oil. Uh, when, when the dew fell upon the camp in the night, the manna fell with it. Moses heard the people weeping throughout their clans, every one at the door of his tent. And the anger of the Lord blazed hotly, and Moses was displeased. Moses said to the Lord, "'Why have you dealt ill with your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight, that you lay the burden of all this people on me? Did I conceive all this people? Did I give them birth, that you should say to me, "'Carry them in your bosom, as a nurse carries a nursing child?' to the land that you swore to give their fathers. Where am I to get meat to give all this people? For they weep before me and say, Give us meat that we may eat. I am not able to carry all this people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. If you treat me like this, kill me at once, if I find favor in your sight, that I may not see my wretchedness. And we're going to skip down a little bit to verse 18. Verse 18. We're going to skip over some of the portions where it deals with God providing additional leaders to help Moses. We'll get more into Moses and leadership next week. But pick up up at verse 18. Uh, God says to Moses, "...and say to the people, consecrate yourself for yourselves for tomorrow, and you shall eat meat. For you have wept in the hearing of the Lord, saying, Who will give us meat to eat? For it, for it was better for us in Egypt." Therefore the Lord will give you meat, and you shall eat. You shall not eat just one day, or two days, or five days, or ten days, or twenty days, but a whole month, until it comes out your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you, because you have rejected the Lord who is among you, and have wept before him, saying, Why did we come out of Egypt? But Moses said, The people among whom I I am number six hundred thousand on foot— And you have said to me, I will give them meat that they may eat a whole month. Shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for all of them and be enough for them? Uh, Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered for them and be enough for them? And the Lord said to Moses, Is the Lord's hand shortened? Now you shall see whether my word will come true for you or not. And We'll skip down to verse 31. Then a wind from the sea, a wind from the Lord sprang up and it brought quail from the sea. And let them fall beside the camp, about a day's journey on this side, and about a day's journey on the other side, around the camp, about two cubits above the ground. And the people rose all that day, and all night, and all the next day, and gathered the quail. Those who gathered, least gathered ten homers. Uh, And they spread them out for themselves all around the camp. While the meat was yet between their teeth, before it was consumed, the anger of the Lord was kindled against the people, and the Lord struck down the people with a very great plague. Therefore, the name of that place was called Kirboth Hattabah, because there they buried the people who had had the craving. From Kirbath-hatabah, the people journeyed to Hazaroth, and they remained at Hazaroth. Let's pray again. Father, we thank you for your word that you have spoken and we pray, Lord, that we will be those who have ears to hear. Lord, for your glory, for the good of your people, build up, strengthen, challenge, and equip, we pray, uh, that Jesus might receive all the glory, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. In 1 Corinthians 10, Paul refers to this very episode. Uh, and he says... To New Testament Christians in Corinth through the Spirit, he says it to us. He says, We must not grumble as they did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, these things happen, Paul wrote, these things happen to them as an example, but were written down for our instruction. So Paul says, This is written down for you. You, New Testament church in Corinth, you, New Church, Testament Church in Medford, these things are written down for us. So apparently, we need to take this to heart. Uh, and this sin of complaining and, and grumbling, uh, it's, a, it's a sin that one Christian author lists as uh, one of several different respectable sins. Complaining, Grumbling it's it's one of those respectable sins that you can you can go headlong into it and still be considered a somewhat respectable believer in the church right when's the last time you've seen someone uh, undergo church discipline for complaining right it's not how we think of it uh, it's a respectable sin <clears throat> it's also one we're we're often blind to right we're we're easy you we can easily spot uh, grumbling and complaining in someone else but when have you how rare is it to, to have someone acknowledge that they are a complainer, right? Actually, we usually explain it in a different way. Uh, I'm, I'm not a grumbler. I'm a realist, right? I just, I just call it like I see it. And don't sugarcoat it. Um, I, I, I ran across this article by uh, Christian author Tim Challies this week, and he kind of plays off of this theme tongue-in-cheek throughout, and he says, he says this, Here's the difference between me and you. I'm not complaining. I'm just humbly expressing what is true. I'm no complainer. It's just that I'm especially gifted at seeing the facts, putting the pieces together. When you do it, you're sitting, we all know that. But when I do it, it's a spiritual gift in action. That must be it. So apparently, we need to talk about grumbling, complaining, because these things were written for us and for our instruction. So we're going to first try to understand what grumbling is, what it looks like so we can spot it, uh, how God feels about it, and then see God's rescuing power uh, at work, even, even for us who grumble and complain. Uh, so uh, the three three points there are, are in your outline. We'll start off with understanding uh, grumbling. And again, it's worth spending a little bit of time on this because we we are often blind to it so we need to see what it looks like not just in other people but of course especially in in ourselves what are some of the key components of grumbling that come out of this passage well one of the big themes is what we could call grumble filtering grumble filtering now we all know what filters are uh, because you have it right there on your phone right you take a picture of something you like and then you get this fun little thing to do, apply all these different filters that do all these fun things to the picture, right? Click on one filter, tap on one filter, and all the the colder colors uh, are filtered out so the picture looks warm and serene. Uh, Click on another filter, and then all the colors are gone. You turn it into black and white, and it looks stark and interesting. Or or, or maybe you click on another filter, and the entire background gets blurred so you can see the person right in the center a a little more clearly. Filters, right? Filters aren't a complete fabrication of Reality, right? It's still true that, that the, the the details in that in that picture, and you're still seeing details in that picture that are really there in reality. It's just reality filtered. So you see some things, but not other things. Or your attention is caught on some things and others are blurred. Now, when it comes to filtering, one of the things we learned from numbers eleven is that the human heart is better than the iPhone. Right? Isn't that what you see in, in Israel here? Can you see the filtering? They're, they're reflecting on their experience here in the wilderness. As they're in this period where what they have to live on is manna that God miraculously provides every day. This bread-like substance that, that appears in the morning with the dew on the ground. And they reflect on it. Verses 4 to 6 especially. And, and, and notice that they're, they're making some true observations. Right, they would probably say they're just being realists. But notice how clear it is that they're filtering reality. First of all, they're, they're filtering out the bad of the past. Right, so verse 4, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing, the cucumbers, the meat, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. Um, right, so looking back at the past, and they very well might be saying true things. I mean, after all, Egypt was built on the Nile River, so they probably did have some uh, fish in their diet, and probably some vegetables too. So there's some truth in how they're reflecting, but notice how conveniently they're filtering out quite a bit. This wasn't all to their life in Egypt, was it? Conveniently leaving out the fact that they were slaves in Egypt. The fact that their taskmaster were, were harsh, right? The whole bricks without straw, even murderous Pharaoh uh, having all the baby boys killed at that particular uh, time, right? So they're conveniently seeing some things and filtering out quite a whole lot, specifically uh, at, at looking back to the good old days uh, and filtering out all that was all that was hard, all that was difficult, and that's the there's the where the grumbling comes from because they think they're seeing reality, but they're actually filtering out a good part of it. It's good to ask ourselves, are we, are we tempted to do the same? Are we tempted to, to look and, and, and conveniently filter out bad things? Uh, maybe, it's, maybe it's like the Egyptians, we look back to our past. Uh, maybe it's our past before Christ, or just a particular period of time that kind of felt like the good old days and you know, remember when life was more peaceful or more uh, simple or the health problems weren't there? Right? Like the Egyptian or like the Israelites, you could be seeing true things about the past, uh, but are you conveniently filtering out certain things? Uh, is, your, is your heart conveniently filtering out the, the hard things, the difficult things, the ugly things, uh, and, and thus setting you up for, for grumbling? Probably the the time when we do this filtering of the bad most is when we look at other people's lives, right? We look at some, we look at somebody else, and we, we just see all the good things that we want of them, of their life, right? Oh, my life would be so much simpler if I had that house, right? Or 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 that new car that I didn't have to worry about breaking down all the time. That would be so would make my life so much easier, right? Conveniently looking at that life over there, filtering out all the bad things, right? The fact that maybe the, the husband's a workaholic, that's how they got that house. The marriage is falling apart because of it. The kids are miserable and suffering. But we don't see that, we just see the shiny house that we want. Right? And our hearts are set up uh, to grumble. Filtering out the blessings of the past. <clears throat> filtering out, uh, or excuse me, filtering out the bad things of the past. Secondly, filtering out the blessings of the present. They quickly move to that. Verse 6. But now our strength is dried up. There is nothing at all but this manna to look at. Um, now again, they're, they're seeing some true things. Life in the wilderness wasn't easy. It was wilderness. Uh, it, it is true that all they had to eat was, was, was manna. But again, notice the filtering. What are they filtering out this time? It's all the blessings. Uh, all, the, all the grace that God is providing to them. And so that, with that filtered out, all they see is the monotonous manna, that they're not crazy about. Right? They're filtering out that God is with them. right? They're saying, all oh, we have to look at it this man- is this manna. Well, actually, if they look up, they'll see the tabernacle and get this visual reminder that there is the glory of, of God present among them. That very thing that is life. God rescuing them so that he could be among them as, as his people and they his precious uh, and he, their their God. Well, they're they're not seeing that. That's conveniently filtered out. Uh, other blessings that flow from it: the fact that they have good leaders, the fact that they have one another and they're not alone, the fact that they're they're no longer slaves but they're free, the fact that they have God's word, the fact that they have the worship of the true God and are free to worship Him. All these blessings and and more. Uh, they're just conveniently not seeing it. Actually, verses seven and eight uh, corrects their notion of of the manna, right? They're even filtering the manna itself. All they're seeing is the monotonous side to it. Uh, and verse seven and eight reminds us that oh, by the way, God actually really does provide this thing every day, and it's actually uh, not bland and boring. It's actually quite quite tasty. Uh, it, it's 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 quite rich. Can be prepared in different ways. So it's not nearly as bad as they're complaining it to be. But all those blessings, all those things, uh, the grace from God, most importantly, filtering out God himself, which is really a good way to summarize what what filters are and what filters do. We're basically filtering God out of the picture. We could keep going if we wanted to. We could also, we had time, talk about how they're also filtering out hope from the future, right? The fact that God has promised them that this wilderness is not permanent, they're On their way to the promised land, they filter that one out, too. Uh, Of course, we do that, too. We we forget about God has promises for us in the future. But but the the whole filtering process here of the human heart, it really can be boiled down to filtering God out of the picture. It's it's true things, but true things as if God wasn't the reality of the situation. Uh, And and they're missing it. they're, They're missing the big lesson of the wilderness. Deuteronomy says that the big lesson that God is teaching them is that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's Deuteronomy, describing what they were supposed to be learning here in the wilderness. Uh, That their existence isn't about just physical things, bread alone, uh, meat alone, Uh, but but it's about God, his presence, his truth, him among them. And here they are looking at the world and what do they think their life consists of? Bread alone, right? Meat alone? Just just the food, just the physical? They filter God out of the out of the picture. And and perhaps this then uh, then helps us kind of understand what the problem is and what the problem isn't with grumbling. All right. The the problem isn't when it comes to complaining. The problem isn't that we notice hard things or that we feel. Hard, things being hard, right? The solution to uh, to to a complaining spirit is not to just turn into a happy-go-lucky person who always whistles a happy tune, right? Uh, uh, a person who's always happy-go-lucky, always whistling a happy tune, actually is filtering of another sort that also has its downsides. Uh, but but anyway, that's not the that's not the the, the solution or the. Or, or getting at the problem. The problem isn't that we feel, or even dislike strongly, the hardships of the wilderness. Uh, it, the problem is, is seeing those hardships and filtering God completely out. As if he had nothing to do with it. As if he wasn't present. As if he wasn't good in the midst of it. As if his power wasn't right there for his people. And it's that heart that then emerges uh, in, a, in a grumbling spirit. Which brings us into God's view of grumbling, right? We, we get not only how they manifest it, but how God responds to it and interprets it, uh, right? You get some pretty strong words from the Lord and pretty strong actions from the Lord. So verse, verse 1, uh, and the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. When the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled. Anger was kindled, right? That's the, that's the first episode, Hopefully you caught that. There's actually, in Numbers 11, two different episodes of grumbling and complaining. There's a short one, and then there's a more extended one. So in the second uh, episode, you get a a similar response from the Lord. Uh, Verse 10. The people are weeping uh, and complaint over the food. In verse 10, and the anger of the Lord blazed hotly. Uh, People are grumbling, and God God is angry. Now remember... God's anger, very different than our anger. Uh, God doesn't uh, fly off the handle. God is never out of control or overreacting. That's how we do anger. That's not God. Uh, God's anger is always righteous. It's always holy. Uh, It's always corresponding to what is true. Uh, And and here, uh, of course, it's from the fact that God actually hates evil. He actually views evil as evil. Uh, as sin, as ugly, as as destructive, as offensive uh, to him and to into his holiness. That's why that's why he's angry. And apparently, this complaining and this grumbling is ugly, destructive, and offensive to his holiness. Uh, and, and and I wonder if that strikes us as a little harsh, right? They're they're complaining, and, and God gets angry to the point of bringing severe judgment. Does that does that sound like God is overreacting? Now well, come on, God. Doesn't everybody complain? Maybe God understands the situation better than we do. Maybe God understands better than we do. Maybe. Um, look, at, look at verse 20. Verse 20 is actually helpful because you, you hear God talking about the, the, the judgment that's coming, and he explains right, why the anger. Why, why the judgment? I guess you don't have it on your printed sheet, but I'll uh, here, let me let me read it to you. As he talks about the judgment that's coming, he says, "Because you have rejected the Lord who is among you, and have wept before him, saying, "Why did we come out of Egypt? Because you have rejected the Lord." So apparently, uh, they're they're grumbling, uh, and this is why God is angry, he's explaining and judgment's going to come because their grumbling and complaining is a rejection of him right the very god who has who has drawn near to them to dwell among them right god with us that that is the very definition of what life is true life lasting life god uh, with us and in relationship with him and here's here's god dwelling near to his people drawing near to them to give them life Uh, Drawing near, and that drawing near rescues them from their slavery. Uh, It's a drawing near that cares for them and protects them and provides for them and has them headed into the glories of the promised land. And all that is true, and and the people reflect on it and say in response, you know what? I actually think we're better off in Egypt. Essentially, I think we were better off without God. I think we were better off without they're rejecting God. And their, their, their complaints uh, have, a, have a root, have a heart behind it, which is, you know what? We're better off without him. <clears throat> We're better off without him. Despising his gifts, doubting his goodness, not believing his promises. We're better off without him. We're better off without him.
1: And this is something
0: that, it's, it's hard, but we probably need to really take this to heart. That that at the at the core root of grumbling and complaining is is our hearts saying you know what I think we're kind of better off without him um, now. Not every word of of, of complaint quite r- rises to the level of full fledged rejection of God, right? So we, we don't want to say that that every grumble. Um, I, I mean, you could even you could even take those little details of, of life. <coughs> little details like the temperature of the air or the, or the pollen count on a particular morning, and, and realize these details uh, are all under the sovereign control of God. Uh, and, and that to, to grumble about them, to complain about them, is our hearts beginning to declare, beginning to ponder and, and express, yeah, I know who's in charge of the universe, but you know, if I ran things, it wouldn't be like this. I think I could do it a whole lot better. Right? I'm not really crazy about how this operation is running. Um, does God really know what he's up to? Right? Maybe Maybe it'd be better if I ran things. Right? That, that's, that, that's what our hearts are starting to, uh, to, to ponder and grab onto. Aren't we better without him? As if we didn't, as if we lived by bread alone, right? And, and, and not... Uh, based on God, His presence, His truth uh, with us. You start to see uh, if uh, how ugly sin is and why, why the judgment of God actually makes sense. If this people is declaring we'd be better without him, uh, how that would be offensive to the Lord and why why that sin really, like every sin, deserves God's judgment. and it is a, a severe judgment uh, because sin is that ugly. Verse 1, fire falls in the outer parts of the camp. That's the first episode. The second episode, you get God's judgment actually coming in the form of God giving them what they crave. Uh, right. This is kind of a scary thing to, to think about, but it's really true. Uh, often, the worst judgment that God can give us is to give us what we crave the worst judgment God can often give us is to give us exactly what we want. And and essentially this people wants uh, wants, uh, food without God, and God gives it to them. He gives them all the meat they can eat, and and then some. They want bread alone, uh, as if that was life without God, and he gives them all the food they can eat, only they don't have the protecting hand of God anymore. And, and, and the, the plague comes, the judgment comes, right? They get what they want, and it, and it destroys them. It's not a pleasant thought, um, but, but we, it is helpful to wrestle with the ugliness of sin. right? Do we, do we really want that world without God? Do we really want the world where God's not in charge, and instead I'm in charge? Um, it's against the, the darkness of sin that we get to see the light that is God and His salvation. Uh, it's it's when it's when sin becomes bitter, as one Puritan said, and when sin becomes bitter, that Christ becomes sweet, which is is where we need to go. There there is there is great glory and salvation for grumblers like us, right? The story uh, of God's people in the wilderness doesn't end with Numbers eleven. Praise the Lord. Uh, and in Christ, it doesn't end with judgment for us either, if you're trusting the Lord Jesus. So we, we take a few minutes to talk about uh, the salvation of God through Christ, the forgiving work of Christ, and the transforming work of Christ. So the work of Christ to, to forgive us. Uh, we actually get shadows of this in our, in our passage. We've seen that throughout the Old Testament and in Numbers, that we get these shadows that point forward to Jesus. Here the shadow comes in the form of Moses, right? In that first episode, right? The the sin against God, the judgment is falling. And and what we see, Moses, verse 2, the people cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. Here's Moses doing exactly the role that God appointed him and wanted him to do, that he would be the one who would intercede for the people, that he would plead for a sinful people, for forgiveness, and that God would honor and listen to that prayer—exactly what God wanted him to do—and here He's doing it, right? A, a mediator, one who could, one who could plead for grace on behalf of a sinful people, and Moses does it, and God listens. Uh, of course, you quickly k- keep reading in the passage and realize: I really hope we have a, a better mediator than Moses. Because right? you don't go too much further down until you find Moses doing a whole lot of grumbling and complaining. All right, Oh, God, why did you give me this people? Uh, that's that's uh, verse 10. Then you get into verse 13 and 21 to 23, where he's he's doubting God's power. God, I don't know how in the world you could give him all this food. All right? So Moses doesn't exactly look like our great shining hope. Uh, and, and, and we know that that's because the story isn't over. Moses gives us a little picture, but we need someone better, and of course we have that in Christ. We have the one greater than Moses. We have one by God's own plan and appointment, one designed as a a mediator, an intercessor, one who can can plead on behalf of a sinful people for forgiveness and and win it. And of course that's Jesus. Uh, Jesus is that one greater than Moses. Unlike Israel, unlike Moses, Jesus never grumbles. Never complains. Uh, His his earthly life even takes him to the wilderness. Right, kids, you remember that? Remember that passage where Jesus goes to the wilderness and and there he's tempted by the devil? And one of the temptations is even a food temptation? Right, no coincidence. There's there's a similar outwardness to it, but also even the inward heart. Think about the the temptation of the devil towards Jesus and how it really has this same inward heart of what the, Israelites are wrestling with it. Numbers 11, right? The devil comes to to Jesus and says, if you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread. Essentially, come on, Jesus. You know, if you're really the son of God, you deserve better than this. You deserve better than this. God's holding out on you. right, so just take things into your own hands. You just, you do it. Right, right. And remember how Jesus responds with the words of Deuteronomy Man does not live by bread alone. By every word word that comes from the mouth of God. What the Israelites were supposed to learn in the wilderness, but didn't. They thought, Numbers 11, they did live by bread alone. uh, By food alone. And Jesus here, walking that same exact path. The devil tempting him. Live by bread alone. And he, he gets it. No. No, that's not life. That's not life. He succeeds where Israel fails. He succeeds where Moses fails. He succeeds where we fail, so that he's the spotless one, uh, the spotless mediator, the spotless one who can plead on our behalf. right? And he does that through his work on the cross. Jesus going to the cross and essentially taking the Numbers 11 judgment on himself. right? Right? Spiritually speaking, on the cross, the fire of heaven falls on, falls on God. Uh, and, and on the cross... Jesus gets what we so often crave, which is a life without God, right? That's, the, that's ultimately at least a huge part of what hell is, right? God basically giving us what we want. You want a life without God, without his presence and life and power and goodness and protection? God hands us over to that. Uh, that's the, at least part, not the entire thing, but a huge part of what hell is. Well, that's what falls on Jesus at the cross, Right? What we sinfully crave, what is judgment itself, it falls on him. Uh, as life without, without the Father's care, and protection, and smile, and, and, the, and the judgment that we deserve falls on Jesus. And also he can plead for our forgiveness and win it. And he does it from the cross, doesn't he? Father, forgive them. He does it from the right hand of the Father right now. Pleading, Father, forgive them, right? Pleading his own finished work, right? Exactly what exactly what the Father planned for him to do. Exactly what the Father delights to have him do. Uh, exactly what the Father answers. Pleading for us, right? If you have this Christ that you're, uh, right? What did we sing earlier, right? My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness, right? There's our only hope, standing on Christ. If that's what you have, uh, then, then that's enough, right? There's forgiveness, there's cleansing. You're not going to find it in someone else. Which is why, if you don't have Christ uh, taking the judgment for you, the only other option is you bear the judgment. So you need Christ. You run to Him. But, but standing on that, uh, that Jesus, right, clinging to Him in faith, there is full forgiveness, right? For all the grumbling and complaining, for all those desires of our hearts to, to live without God. Sure enough, Christ takes all of that judgment for us, and for us, it's it's forgiveness completely, totally. The work of Christ to forgive us, but also to transform us. Right? God loves us so much, uh, He forgives us right where we are in our grumbling, but He loves us so much, He's not going to leave us in our grumbling. He's going to take us, transform us into something better. And that's our plan. Uh, That's His plan, excuse me. The same Christ. Uh, through the Spirit of Christ, changes us more and more. Uh, a, great, a great passage to meditate on, the, on this is what we read earlier from Philippians 4. I encourage you this week, uh, read through it again and kind of work your way through and see how, how Christ right, transforms the grumbling, complaining heart. But just a few, a few quick things uh, to mention from, from Philippians 4. Uh, it's right there at the top of your page there. Couple things, and you can see how it relates to grumbling and complaining. So you get verse eleven, where Paul says uh, that he's learned how to be content. Learned, right? In other words, God has changed him. Didn't happen instantaneously. It was a learning. It was a process. It's a, it's a Christ changing us more and more. But he's learned how to be content. Learned how not to grumble and complain. And he talks about plenty and hunger and abundance and need. He still names the hardships for what they are, the downtimes. So it's not saying he was changed because he didn't feel pain anymore. He still felt the harshness of the wilderness that he lived in. But now God strengthened him so that he was content even in the midst of the lack. Christ taught him. As you go on to the, the, the where the verse goes, Christ taught him that he could do all things through Christ who strengthens him. And, and the top of the list in context is how not to grumble and complain. I learned, strengthened by the spirit of Christ, by this Christ who, who did it for Paul and does it for us, strengthened to be able to be content, even in the harshness of the wilderness. You could expand in the passage, go earlier Verse six, right? He talks about the key role of prayer, right? Taking the taking the hard,ful painful things to the Lord in prayer. Yeah, that's part of that's part of what what the Lord transforms us. How He transforms us is that in, in that the the grumbles and complaining are turned into prayers, right? Feeling the same hard difficulty, but now it's Lord help, as opposed to uh, Lord, I want you out of here, um, and praying. Notice he says with thanksgiving in verse 6, right? There's that don't filter out the blessings. Uh, uh, don't filter out how God is already present. Instead, you're actually even in the wilderness looking, you know, where's that manna that God is pr- already providing? How is he already present? Look, there's, the, there's the, uh, the, the tabernacle in the wilderness. There's his presence in my life, not filtering him out, yeah, bringing that to mind, uh, calling it to mind. Verse 8, Paul even talks about. Uh, The role of of focusing one's mind on what is is good and lovely and excellent and true. Uh, It's not Paul saying, ignore the hard things. It's it's Paul saying, choose to focus on, meditate on, not all the things that are wrong, uh, but the good things that God is bringing. Of course, the, the, the best good, excellent, true, lovely, worthy of praise is God himself. Is God Himself. And that, that really is that is that key. It's it's God teaching us more and more that we don't live by bread alone. Uh, it's not just the physical circumstance, but, but his presence, his power, his truth. So as we meditate on good things, it'll have us meditating on God and His presence with us. You'll still feel the pain. Right? As you're more and more transformed, right? It's a it's a learning that Christ does in us. Uh, and so as you as you learn this, it still feels hard, right, because you still live in the wilderness. Uh, not forever. God has us going somewhere. But you still feel the difficulty. Uh, you, you, might, you might still get to the end of the day and think to yourself, wow, that felt like the worst day ever. You might still think that and feel that. Only what God is doing is he's, is he's transforming that. And more and more, it'll, it'll look and, and, and sound different in your heart. Uh, so what, what, what used to be something like, this felt like the worst day ever. And if tomorrow is like this, so help me, I'm done. I'm, no, can't. I'm out of here. Now it's more and more something different. Now it's, this felt like the worst day ever. But, Lord, thank you for getting me through. And if tomorrow is like this, Lord, Lord, I hope it's not. Please, please, Lord, not. But if it is, I trust you. I trust you, you'll be there. I trust that you'll keep me. I trust that you'll get me all the way home. Uh, I believe. Help my unbelief. Right? Still feeling the hard, but it's changed more and more. That's what the Spirit of Christ does. That's what the Christ who strengthens us does. It's, 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 it's learning. It's not overnight, uh, but it's good, and it's temporary because the same Christ who's with us now will bring us home, uh, and then the w- harshness of the wilderness will be done. That's great. Father, we do thank you. Thank you that you you know us, not only in the in the, in the words that, uh, that grumble out of our mouths, you know, even, the, even the ugly roots in our hearts. <clears throat> but, but Lord, we thank you that you've chosen in your goodness and love to, to rescue even us through your son. Thank you that his work is enough. Uh, thank you that his spirit is, is at work in, in us. And Lord, we pray for that. Uh, be at work in each of us. Uh, Teach us more and more, uh, Lord, that we don't live by bread alone. Uh, Lord, draw us to you. Show us your presence already with us. uh, And we, we look forward to that fullness of your presence to come. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.